0: 9. This is Soul to Soul, back Baruch Hashem on another era of Shabbos. This week Shabbos Kodesh. Era of Shabbos Kodesh. Parshas told us Shin, Pei, Gimel. And a very, very warm welcome. To all of our radio family, thank you so, so much for taking the time to be with us, to spend a few minutes on Erev Shabbos, trying to be mechazek ourselves, trying to strengthen ourselves, trying to get, get ready for a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos Kodesh. And really, really, we so appreciate that all of you are tuned in. So let's get straight to it. Let's talk some Torah. So Rivka is experiencing a really, really what she perceived to be a really strange pregnancy. Right? Something unusual was occurring in her body. Now, when she walked by a house of, you know, of tvila, based tvila, of monolithic uh, tvila, so, or house of base medrash, so then she felt with the fetus within her womb gravitating towards it. Likewise, when she passed by a house, that sort of catered to idol worship, she once again felt a pulling to leave and embrace the idols. What kind of a child was she carrying? Rashi explains the words of What is it that I am? Why is it that I am uh, uh, desiring and praying for pregnancy? Had I known that I would be carrying a child whose values would be so mixed up I would have been better off not becoming pregnant at all. Now the Ebenezer explains that as this was Rivka's first pregnancy, she asked women who had given birth whether their experience was normal. When they said no, that it was not, she asked, if this is unusual, why is it so? Why is my pregnancy unlike that of others? Ramban rejects the explanation of both Rashi Rashi, and Ebenezer he explains that Rivka mused if this is the way that it's going to be for me why am I in this world I wish that I would no longer be according to Ramban noichi does not refer to the pregnancy but rather to Rivka herself Rivka felt that if she could not achieve her purpose in life what purpose would she serve in living clearly these different explanations, which are expounded by the Gedali Arishenim, reflect their varied approaches to understanding Rivka's lament over her condition. Each exposition is holy and profound, far beyond anything we can begin to understand. Rabbi Nisim Albert Azal offers a wonderful approach, one which kind of delves deep into the psyche. of of our matriarch and simultaneously mandates us to look at ourselves in the mirror and ask the question Am I the problem? He suggests that perhaps quite possibly the inner conflict which we observe in our children the agitation uncertainty anxiety they're acting as if they are being pulled in opposing directions is all a reflection of what is taking place in the psyche of their their parents a child who suffers from uncertainty right and inner conflict might be acting out what he perceives upon observing his parents perhaps the parents personal conflict being torn between opposing value systems is carried over to their child. This might be what troubled Rivka when she sensed that the child she was carrying was conflicted, torn between paganism and, and monotheism. Her first reaction was, why am I thus? Is something wrong with me, my soul, my spirituality? Right? What is the score that I am feeling in my womb, telling me about myself. She wondered whether something about her on Lehi was conflicted. Something which required reevaluation and resolution before she could continue. It was not enough to just serve Hashem. It was necessary that every aspect of a service like of HaKadosh Baruch Hu be perfect and irreproachable so this is the the lesson for us Rivka Imena teaches us that the first place one should look when one has a problem is at him or herself introspection does not come easily but nothing of value comes easily if all parents would look inside themselves before laying blame at the feet of their children or the school or whatever it is, we might have children who are much less conflicted. 101.9 one Chai FM, this is Soul to Soul. Please stay with us. There's much, much more coming. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi mushe Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 one Chai FM, Soul to Soul. Back on your radio. Erev, Shabbos, Kedish. Pasha' told us Shinpei Gimel, so wonderful to have you on board. We are talking we are talking raising children, which is such an important ideal in this week's Pasha. And the Pasik says that Yaakov and Esau began to grow up. And Rashi writes that when the twins turned thirteen years old, they went their own separate ways. Yaakov, Vinu, kind of gravitated to the basement while Asof, or Rasha kind of leaned towards idol worship. Now, it must be noted that their transformation, especially in Aesop, did not just happen in a moment. Their spiritual destination was not kind of a fait complete. They neither ran nor walked. They kind of gravitated to their respective choices of worship. Indeed, Growing up, Asaf was far from being a devoted idolater. On the contrary, he viewed himself as a tzaddik, a righteous and virtuous person. After all, he was so meticulous in his mitzvah observance that he sought his father's guidance on how even to give miser tithes from salt. This was, however, all a sham of was a fraud, a swindler, whose greatest victim was none other than himself. Aaron Schiffschlitter of Antwerp observes that every fraudulent act has its parameters. In other words, it's soon discovered. The parameters uh, depend mostly on the relationship one has with The swindler, the more distant one is, the greater the difficulty in seeing the truth. A wise man can be duped for a few months until he discovers the deception. One's family sees through the ruse within a few weeks. One's wife can tell the signs within a few short days. All sooner or later see the swindler For the charlatan that he is. Only the timing is different. The swindler himself, however, is the victim of self-deception. For which there are no parameters. A person is capable of living a life, a whole life. And believing it throughout his entire lifetime. Asa's downfall occurred because... He was not what we call piv valibay shavin. He wasn't expressing what one appears to be. He was a double-dealing hypocrite for whom deception was a way of life. Such a person fools not only others. He's his own greatest victim. Esav talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. Nonetheless, he believes what he says, despite acting contrary to the words that he expresses. He sought to emulate his father's actions, but on a superficial level. As his father married at the age of 40 years old, so Esau also married at the same age, but he married a pagan woman. The only thing his marriage had in common with his father's was their age. It was a Yid in Pressburg, who despite coming from a very, very of observant family, decided to live a completely secular life, both inwardly and outwardly. He dressed as a secular person, right, sort of taking off the, the black frock that every other member of his family had worn for generations. They had been wholly committed Jews. He was committed to everything but religious observance. When his father passed away, he seemed to undergo a metamorphosis of sorts. He moved into his father's home and began to dress in traditional garb. People thought that perhaps he might have kind of done sugar, he might have repented. Unfortunately, this too was part of his hypocrisy. He explained that he wanted to emulate his late father. Thus, he dressed like him. Frumkite? Religious observance? Never. The outer appearance may change, but the heart remains exactly the same. Avgadah Eisman posits that it was specifically Esau's penchant for emulating the superficial, that earned him the appellate Russia wicket, rather than emulate Itzhak Avinu's incredible Midas, Asab decided to add one more wife to his harem of idol worshippers. His father married when he was forty; he too would marry when he was forty. This is to what Rashi alludes. When he compares Esav to the Chazir, the pig, why the the pig prides itself with its split hoofs, which is one of the symbols of Kasherus, right? The hidden symbol, in other words, the regurgitation, the right chewing your cud. However, does not apply to it. Esav copied his father because he wanted to continue sinning. He conjectured that if for all outward appearances he was acting appropriately, no one would ever notice his many sins. Thus, emulating Yitzchak was his kind of segue to to sin. Rav Shimon ben Gamliel in the Midrash Rabbah in in Barathees said, All my days I served my father. However, I did not e- ever perform kibbutz avaim, 1% of what Esav did. I would serve my father with whatever clothes I was wearing. If they were soiled, I would serve him anyway. In contrast, Esav would don big day malchus, clothing suited for a monarch when he served his father. The Imre'emes of Gur asked, what prevented Rabbi Shimon Gamliel from also wearing, put on his princely clothes when he served his father? He explains uh, beautifully, he said, copying is nothing. He said, the Rebbe is teaching us that the superficial, which is not motivated by internal emotions, is of no value at all. This does not mean that all emulation has a negative uh, a connotation. The following two instances cited by Rabbi Eliezer, Levi, Turk, Shlita, show that one can demonstrate positive forms of modeling oneself and his lifestyle, emulating a great Rebbe. It says, HaRabh Moshe Arunsten, Zatzal, the Mashgiach of Kamenetsk, decided after his marriage, to exchange his American suit short jacket for authentic Yerushalmi clothing. Once, when his revered Rebbe, Rav Yisrael Chaim Kaplan Zal, right, Rav Chaim we know was the son-in-law of Rav Yeruchim Nevovitz and the father-in-law of Rav Baruch Dov Povasky. when he saw his students from Bez Mansi, wearing a long frock. He commented, ah, he says, ah, I finished Torah scholar. Are you, are you there yet? You're wearing a, wearing a frock. Does that like make you, that you've, that you've, uh, arrived? A short while later, when Amisha Aaron related the comment of his Rebbe, he said, at first, I felt slighted. When I thought about what the Rebbe had said, however, I realized that he was telling me that imitation, which is not motivated by an inner desire for growth, is nothing, and it will not last. One day, Rav Gustman, the great Rosh Hashiva, began wearing a gaitl for davening. And when they asked him, why are you doing that? Why are you suddenly wearing a gaitl? It's not usual for the Litvish uh, uh, followers to wear a girdle. So he explained that his Rebbe, the great Raf Shimon Shkop, one day began wearing the tfilm of Rabbeinu Tam. Which, again, not usually done. And they asked him, why are you wearing Rabbeinu Tam? Rabbeinu Tam's not different than Rashi's. So Shimon said, I've spent so much time, oh, in my whole life, explaining the different opinions of Rabbeinu Tam. And I'm so worried. That one day I'm gonna come up to Shemaim and I'm gonna meet Rabinatam and he's gonna accuse me of being a Kakafta Dlaimanach Tfun, of being a person that never ever wore film, because according to Abinatham, the Twilm of Rashi are not kosher. Therefore I decided to prepare myself for the inevitable and started wearing Abinatam. If it's real, then do it. If it's just something external, then it cannot and will not last. This is 101.9 high FM. This is Hilchot Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 high FM. 101.9 high FM. This is all to soul. Back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kiddish. Parshas told us. Shin Pe Gimel. In what is probably one of the most dramatic Pashas of the entire year, the intrigue that goes on, Yaakov and and Esav. And of course, one of the most difficult things for us to understand, one of the things that all of the commentaries really kind of pull their hair out, trying to understand, and it seems inconceivable, is this concept of as the Torah tells us by Yehav Yitzchak is that Yitzchak loved Esav Kitsayed Befiv, that Esav could possibly love Esav Esav Horosha. right? As it says, right? And and Rashi, Rashi explains what does he mean Kitzayin Befiv. He says he knew how to trick. Says, Lotsud, the Loramoisis of Efefev. He knew how to entrap, he knew how to trick his father Yitzchak using his mouth. The Shoyalei, he asked him all kinds of seemingly very intelligent questions. But for someone who knows anything, they were absolute Amorazis. Says, Abba, Daddy, Asrin tell me, how do you take Misa from salt? Now we know that maestras, the tithes that we have to separate, are only separated from tithes that grow from the ground. Salt, which is mined, certainly has no obligation of of uh, separating uh, salt from it. Or tevin, straw, straw is a byproduct of of the avi, when one takes mice on on the fruit, on, on on the vegetable, not on the byproducts. So, kasever aviv. His father thought that Asa was someone who was really, really careful in mitzvah performance. But of course, he wasn't. So somehow it sounds like from this Rashi that Asa was able to do a con job, so to speak, on his father and kind of convince him that he was asking really intelligent questions and was interested in knowing all the deeper sort of details of, of Halacha, and it sounds like from Rashi that Gitzchak was, was taken in and kind of hoodwinked by, by Asaph. And, and that really makes it so, so difficult for us to stand. Because I mean, Gitzchak was no, no fool. Gitzchak, uh, uh, certainly in his own childhood had dealt with a, a Yishmal, who also was not exactly an exemplary kind of man of the year, uh, type of, of, of character. So, you know, he wasn't living in some kind of, you know, idyllic bubble where the whole world is, is, is perfect. He had, uh, you know, uh, uh he knew, he knew things. And, and this by this time he already, you know, was already, uh, uh, must have been in his, in his fifties. He wasn't, he wasn't a, a, a child anymore. So, 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 to understand that some teenage kid could, could pull the wool over his eyes consistently and, and when he was really a rusher to kind of uh, have his father perceive that he's a tzaddik, it's a very very difficult thing for us for us to understand. In the Sefer Moerinayim, he brings, quoting the the writings of the of the Arizal, that Yitzchak in fact loved Esav. What does it mean? Kitsayed be'fiv, that uh, that uh, he could trap him with his mouth. So it says Arizal that the neshama of Rabbi Akiva spoke through the mouth of Esau. Now, this is a you know, wilder concept. Uh, the neshama of Rabbi Akiva was somehow present in Esau, and when Esau spoke, it was actually the neshama of Rabbi Akiva that was speaking. Because that in the in the head, the head of Esau, the intellect of Esau, that was infused with a level of the neshama of Rabbi Akiva. In other words, that which it says that Yitzchak loved Asaph Kitsayid Befiv, the intention is that when he, when Asaph spoke, Yitzchak was able to hear the voice of Rabbi Akiva. That his neshama was kind of, so to speak, encapsulated or perhaps incarcerated in the head of of asaph and and therefore it came out and exploded kind of through the mouth of asaph that that nisham the Mare, mare Naim continues and he explains that the reality was that Yitzchak heard the the voices of all the nishams of the tanaim that they were all kind of somehow encapsulated in the head of Esav. And he quotes them. He says, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Meir, Shmaya, and Aftalion. Right, these were all, by the way, these were all converts or came from uh, uh, converts, and they were all somehow associated with Esav or Russia. But he says, the voice of Rabbi Akiva was the clearest, the most resonant of all of those voices. And in fact, to quote, <laughs> it's fascinating, to quote the words of the Mayunayim, because that which it says, befiv," that he trapped him with his mouth, it means to say, Sayyad ha-nishamas ha Imamashi trapped these holy nishamas. Shayyum alubashim apiv. That they somehow were encapsulated in his mouth. <clears throat> and they spoke through the mouth of, of Asav. Asa nishamas. Those nishamas. Beshoya shayyum adabrem yitzchak. Whenever Asav would speak with yitzchak. Right, Shaiyom Ashikzeh and and Gais yes, and Gitschak, of course, uh, was able to understand this. Over Yichud Nishmas Rabbi Akiva, especially the Shemur Rabbi Akiva, Shaiy That was the most dominant of all the Nishmas that was present in in Esav. The then goes on to explain the words of Rashi. What does it mean, you're a day outside? What does it mean? Lotsud, the little moises of it, if he knew how to somehow entrap and trick his father with his mouth. And he would ask his father, how do you take maisa from salt and, and straw? And his father thought that he was very careful in mitzvahs. So he explains this based on this Gemara in, in the Dharam, Dafnun, we'll get to it soon, that After Rabbi Akiva married Rochel, who was the daughter of Kalba Savur, this very, very wealthy man, so the, uh, we know that her father made a promise and, and banned her from having any benefit from any of his possessions and basically threw her out of his house. And they was, they were sleeping in a barn. With straw, without, uh, without, uh, without a mattress, without a blanket, without anything. And Chazal tell us that Eliyah Navi came to them and appeared to them like a, like a human being and called out to them right from the opening of the barn and he said to them, please, please give me a little bit of straw. My wife just gave birth and we don't even have anything for her to, to lie on. Shabbat said, To, to his, uh, to his, his, to his wife says, you see, there are even people that are worse off than us. There are even people that don't even have any straw. At least we have straw. And the run explains that Elio came to comfort them that in fact there are people who are even more impoverished and more poor than, than they are in, in a more difficult situation and even though it doesn't say so explicitly in in the Gemara but it was clear from this that Rabbi Akiva gave that Ani who was of course was Eliyahu Navi, he gave him some straw that he and his wife would be able to to sleep on it based on this says the Ma'aranaim when Esav asked Yitzhak his father how do we take Misa from straw even though of himself intended To trick his father That he was You know He was really really careful About doing mitzvahs he, he Gitzchak heard Through his Ruach HaKodesh He heard the sound Of Rabbi Akiva's voice That came from the mouth of Esau and, and it hinted him About that straw That he's going to give in his, in his impoverished state To Elio Hanavi And therefore Yitzchak loved Esau because he thought that he also, just like the Rishon I was speaking, that he also was careful in, in, in mitzvahs. Right? And he says, and just the quote, he says, that which Chazal said on the be'fiv," that he asked his father, how do you take mitzvah from straw and, and salt? It's well known that Rabbi Akiva married this Pascal the daughter of Kaaba and he banned them from all of his assets and threw them out of the house. And they slept on straw. And Yehonab came and appeared to them like a like a poor person and asked for them straw. And he said, "His wife just gave birth and needs some straw." And Rabbi gave her straw. And that is the midat that's It's a very, very, very good attribute when you have almost nothing to share. It's amazing, right? And all that, Yitzchak was able to understand. Because when he spoke, when Asa spoke to him, so he would say to him that, um, you know, he spoke to him whatever he said. But Yitzchak heard that holy, holy spark that Rabbi Kiva is gonna give the of his own, of his own straw. Which is, of course, uh, was an illusion for Yitzchak that Asa had this neshama in him. Now, obviously we have to ask Because Rashi seems clearly That Esau asked his, his father Father, how do you take maisa from salt And, and straw And based, based on what we're saying here from the, from the, in the, Based on the words of the Maore Naim That this is somehow connected to the neshama the of Rabbi Akiva Who gave straw to Eliyahu Navi. If so, it's, it's incredible So how do we understand then what it was that Asap actually asked his, his, uh, his, uh, his father? Right? Uh, how do you take maison from, from the salt? I mean, how does that connect at all to the Neshav of Rabbi Akiva? So perhaps we could add a little bit more to what the Moinam says. The Mishnah in Mesechus Kala Rabosi which is describing the qualities of a Talmud So one of the things it says is That they have to be Zoriz umumula, Which means they have to be Kind of industrious And full of energy Which is the word memula. Now in the Gemara it says Some read the word as memula, And others read it as Mumulach Right So he says Those who read it as Mumula Full Intends That it means That the the Tamilachachamim uh, so kind of takes the place, fills the place of of his ancestors. Namali mokam He takes the place of his ancestors, and they'll read it as mumulach. So they interpret the word Mumulah in accordance with what it says in the pasuk that to uh It has to be seasoned with salt. It has to be pure. And holy, from which they learn that a Tamil chacham must be pleasant towards all men, and should not be like a dish that doesn't have salt in it. This is the Mishnah in Emesechas uh, uh, uh Kala. So we see that one of the conditions for a person to be a Tamil chacham is he has to be mamulach. In other words, he has to be sweet and pleasant to everybody. Now, the Gemara and Ksuvis on Das brings that the whole desire, the greatest desire of Rachel, the daughter of Kalba Savuah, was to marry Rabbi Akiva, you even though Rabbi Akiva was nothing. Rabbi Akiva was a, was a, a shepherd and a total ignoramus at that time. So why did she want to get married to him? because she saw that he was tsenua umayle he was very modest and he had beautiful beautiful midas which means that uh, uh, she saw in him the positive traits the positive midas in fact as the marshal says over there that he was very very tsenua he was very very modest which is one of the best of all midas in fact as it says by those who are modest and discreet that's where real wisdom resides or it says walk with modesty before Hashem and in the, in the Mishnah it says one should be a, a modest person right and what's male what does it mean that he was he was pleasant to everybody and anyone who is pleasant to everybody, is also considered pleasant by HaKadosh Baruch The only problem was, so he had all the basics. The only problem was, he had no Torah. He had never learned Torah. And we know, Loya <coughs> someone who's not Amaretz, can never be a truly righteous person. And therefore she said to him, that I'll marry you, uh, on condition that you go and learn Torah, because then you'll be a well-rounded person, you'll have the Midas and the Torah. Similarly, there's a Shabbos, that goes at length on the whole story, about a certain uh, worker, who worked for three years, and at the end, the, the the boss didn't pay him, what his salary was, and this person judged him, Favorably and you could read the whole story there. And he finally did pay him and uh he actually had no money at that at that uh that time. The chassam Sefer there writes and it's worth worth uh, uh, worth seeing and he sends us to the writings of the of the Rami Panai, who wrote in the name of the Shiltas that that balabos who didn't pay his worker because he had absolutely nothing was Rabbi Lezben Hurkanis, right? And the worker was Rabbi Akiva when he was in, in Amoritz. So from this we can understand that even when Rabbi Akiva was in Amoritz, he had tremendous, tremendous good good meters. and therefore uh, he not only sort of talked the talk, he he walked the walk because Rabbi Akiva. Is the one in the, in the Yerushalmi who says, you have to Love your friend like yourself. That was his motto. Right? the most important thing is to be nice to other people. Be considerate of other people. Those incredible good meters that were found that Rabbi Akiva had, those were the ones that created within him the ability to, to make himself a receptacle to rise and to become stronger in his, in his learning Torah. And, and, and to be able to, to, uh, 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 expound piles and piles of, of halakhas on every letter in, in the Torah. So it comes out that melach salt actually symbolizes good, good meatus. And therefore, Mrs. Lot, right, who didn't have very good, Midas. When she turned around, she turned into an tziv melach, a pillar of, of salt. So now we can understand when Asaf asked his father, "Daddy, how does one take myself from from uh, uh, salt and from straw?" So Yitzchok understood with his ruach hakodesh. He heard the voice of Rabbi Akiva emanating. Through the mouth of Esau, because his neshama, as we said, was was hidden in the, in the head of of Esau, that that uh, revealed to him the greatness of the good midas of Rabbi Akiva that were that's alluded to by the words salt, and therefore we can understand what Rabbi Chaim Palagi writes in, in, in the in the Kafah Chaim. and he says when a person uh says the the pe the peot of pitumakitas and it says memulach tahar kidish salted pure and holy you should think about the name of a parahu uh that comes from those the lost letters of those three uh words ches reish shin right which is uh rohash right and that has the kayach, he says, to chase away all kinds of external problems, all kinds of external, uh, uh, difficulties, and it's very, very beneficial for our memory. As it says in, in the Sefer Shari, Shari Chayim, it says, Rokhash Libi That uh, I can think of, of good things. Therefore, what's the connection between Memulach Tohar Kaydish? That, that, and uh, and and to remembering Torah, so we're saying it. It's 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 beautiful that in order to merit to be a real Talmud Chacham, a person has to be salted. He has to be pure. He has to be sweet to every single single person. And Shachar's Erevin also. Where it's, it says that it brings the post in, in, it says It says, and, and like bracelets for, for, for their, for their neck. And we learn two things that through them a person is able to, to retain his, his learning. One of them is, he has to go over his learning all the time. And the second one is, if a person is, is, is sweet and a person is nice to the people he comes in contact with, that, that makes a difference. So, when we say, this is uh, incredible, when we say that Yitzchak loved Asaph it wasn't the physicality of Asaph that he loved, but he, he knew what was going on in his head, because the head of Asaph was great. Asaph was on that level worthy of being one of the others. And he had these amazing neshamas going on, going on with them. We'll come back with much, much more on our Hilchos Shabbos slot. This is 101.9 high FM. The program is Soul to Soul. Please stay with us. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Mushe Schnurb, only on 101.9 high FM. 101.9 high FM. This is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kedish. Pasha's told, I stuff, shin, Pei. Gimel as we prepare ourselves for another amazing and beautiful Shabbos. Baruch Hashem, shechyon v'kimon v'gion. We've gotten through another week. Baruch Hashem, wholesome and healthy and ready and rearing for a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. As we always do at this time on a Friday afternoon, we talk about the important details, the important times we need to know for this coming Shabbos. So let's do that right away. This afternoon, the earliest time for lighting Shabbos candles is at 5.17 this afternoon. 17 minutes past 5.00 is the earliest time, and that's not so difficult, you know, the days are getting longer, and there's plenty of time, we really can do it, just get our houses organized, get the food on the tray, if we, as I said, if we're dealing with, load shedding before Shabbos, or as Shabbos starts, we know the drill, we know what to do, we know how to get our food hot, so let's not panic, let's just stay calm, and do get what we have to do, and get ready for Shabbos, and start, as early as we possibly can, 517, is the, Earliest. The latest time for Lich Benching this afternoon is at 24 minutes past 6, 624 is the latest time for lighting our candles, although in many communities they accept the standard summertime in Johannesburg of 615 as the beginning of, uh, of Shabbos and of course one does what one's community uh, does and so 624 is the latest. Again, one cannot use time after that unless one really, really is in an emergency. Shkia is at 642, 18 minutes before, before 7 o'clock. And again, please make sure that everything is ready and in place by 624 and only use that time afterward and even only some of it in an extreme, extreme case of 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 emergency. So we said, Shkir, that's at uh, 6.42, if you want to be able to daven mayrev uh, at night and not have to repeat the Shema, then you have to wait until 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock is already proper night, and you can daven mayrev, say the Shema, and then come home and spend the beautiful evening together with your family, have a beautiful meal, have some nice amiras, and then a divat Torah too, and then, please go afterwards, It'll, it gets a bit later, any one, kind of gets ready to collapse for the night and prepare for a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos, Shabbos day. Of course, tomorrow we will lay in Pasha's Toldoes. As I said, it's very, very exciting and dramatic Pasha. The Pasha that really talks about Yaakov and, and Esav and how that relationship all pans, pans out. And of course, the Haftorah is the regular Haftorah for Pasha's, Pasha's Toldos. And the day carries on, Baruch Hashem, it's getting a long, long, long day. Uh, the Shabbos Kodesh ends only at seven seventeen, seventeen 17 minutes past 7. So it really, really is getting to be a really, really long day, which gives us lots of time, some time maybe to socialize and maybe a time to have a little bit of a shlof and, and to learn some Torah. Utilize the day as it's meant to be utilized, because that what Shabbos is really all all about. Speaking about Shabbos, we're talking about, and we're coming near to the end of our uh, uh, of the introduction to the principles of work on, on Shabbos. So, of course, we know that in addition to the prohibition of actually doing work on Shabbos ourselves, and we know that uh, work, we said, is anything constructive and creative. So, we're also commanded that we have to make sure that our children don't do any work on on Shabbos, our slaves or servants can't work on Shabbos. Our animals cannot do work on Shabbos because the Pasch, in fact includes them all together. Torah says Loisasa mm-hmm. you cannot do any of course you, your son, your daughter, your male and female uh, servants, the shorcha. And your ox, the chamorcha, and your donkey, the chol and all your animals, and the geracha and any converts you might have in your property. Why? Because just as you are required to rest on Shabbos, so too is your is your servant and maid also required to rest on on Shabbos. In other words, in addition to the mitzvah that our our rabbis have imposed that's incumbent upon, let's say, parents to educate their children in order how to guard and and fulfill the mitzvahs. There's a special mitzvah from the Torah that we're not allowed to use our children on Shabbos as a means of doing any kind of, of work. And we'll we'll talk, please, God, in detail about the laws involving children on uh, on on Shabbos, and but but just to, that I'm saying now, just as a as a principle. Similarly, the Torah forbade on Shabbos for us to do any work through a a servant, even a a non-Jew. And again, in order to understand the the connotation of this mitzvah. So we have to uh, perhaps uh, provide a bit of an introduction that, based on the law of the Torah, a a non Jewish servant, who was acquired, by a Jew, so he actually undergoes a conversion process. This is not something we are having our day and age. Obviously, our our maids and employees are, are no more than employees. We don't own them, but. In, in, in biblical time, in time of the Gemara, the people used to actually purchase slaves, and that purchased slave actually goes through a, a, a conversion, and afterwards, then he is obligated in all the mitzvahs, with the exception of those positive mitzvahs that are time dependent, which the same way as women are exempt from them, these slaves are also, also exempt. And if at any point the master decides to free this slave, so then he becomes a full-fledged Jew who is chayev and to do all the mitzvahs, both time-bound and non-time-bound. So we see that even during the time that he is one's servant, since he went through a process of conversion, so it's an obligation on him to guard Shabbos, uh, biblically, the Torah, the Torah requires them to keep to keep Shabbos. Furthermore, the Torah even adds an extra mitzvah on the master to see to it that his servant does not do melacha on Shabbos. And in a situation where the slave has not yet undergone conversion, so then he has no obligation. To keep to keep Shabbos and he would be allowed to do for his own purposes any kind of any kind of malacha. But even there the Torah has commanded us that in the same way that as the Jew must rest on Shabbos, so too he may not ask from his servant to do for him any malacha on Shabbos. And that's based on a postulation. In, in, uh, Pashas uh, Kisisa, it says, Your maidservant and your converts must rest on, on Shabbos. And Chachamim learned from that, that the intention is that it is referring to even a slave who has not yet undergone conversion, he is bound not to do any, any, any Malachim. Furthermore, Chachamim say and also forbade A Jew to ask a non-Jew to do any malacha for him on on Shabbos, and obviously we're going to go into quite depth to explain and and go through the rules of what a non-Jew can and can't do for us on on uh, on Shabbos. But sometimes the Chachamim allowed us to ask a guy to do for a Jew certain malacha that. The the basis of the of the prohibition is only a rabbinic in as well. Again, we'll explain in 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 the coming in the coming halachas. Furthermore, the Torah forbade to use any animal to do work for us. And again, these these halachas will also go go back into and and deal with great with great uh, uh, detail. However, my my utensils. My possessions, non-living possessions, there's no obligation for them to rest on Shabbos. So, therefore, a Jew could lend any kind of utensils to a non-Jew that he could use them for work on Shabbos, on the condition that it's the the, the uh, non-Jew does not allow it to appear as if he's doing work on behalf of the of the uh, of, of the Jew. Okay, we're going to come back with some closing comments in a moment. This is 101.9 High FM. The program is Soul to Soul. And this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurr. Only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9, One 101.9, Chai FM, Saltus, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kaideesh Pasha has told us it's such a pleasure to be with you. We are talking about the introduction to the principles of Shabbos. And as we said, our rabbis forbade us to ask a non-Jew to do any melacha for us on Shabbos. Now, this prohibition is like any other. Prohibition that our Chacham have instituted, which is called a Shvus. Shavus means something instituted by the rabbis. And the Paiskin dispute if let's say what I need done is actually for a mitzvah. Did the Chachamim allow us to violate the uh the a rabbinic prohibition, right, in order to facilitate performance of a mitzvah? Or do we say, no, even when the prohibition that they, that the Chazal have instituted will cause that we are not able to perform a mitzvah, Chazal were not lenient and did not allow us to violate their word. Let's say, for example, let's say the light went off on Friday night. And you're not going to enjoy your meal, you're not going to enjoy Shabbos, you don't have an inverter or whatever, you're not going to be able to sit nicely at the meal, you're not going to be able to learn Torah, would you be allowed to ask a non jew let's say, to turn on the light for you? So, according to the Bala Itur, wherever there's a need for a mitzvah activity, Chachamim canceled their words and allowed us to ask a non-Jew to light the fire or turn on the light or do any other Molochah for us. However, the Rambam and most of the other Paiskim say that even Litzarach Mitzvah our <coughs> forbade us to ask a non-Jew to do Molochah that would be forbidden for the Jew himself to do and that's a Torah prohibition. But what they did allow was if it's necessary for a mitzvah, so I can tell a non-Jew to do something where the source of that prohibition is only rabbinic. In other words, Hazal did not allow uh, 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 a, for, for the need of a mitzvah to do a Torah prohibition. But if it's a non-Jew, Doing a only a rabbinic rabish, what we call a shvus, the shvus, a double rabbanim, because the, the non-Jew working for us is only a rabbinic law, and what if we're asking him to do is only a rabbinic law. So then you would be allowed to break the the rabbinic ordinance in order for the mitzvah. In other words, to sort of uh, put it in one English sentence, we could say, if let's say a rabbinic iser is worth half of a Torah prohibition, so then. A rabbinic iser done by a non-Jew only becomes like a quarter of an iser. And therefore, where it's a need for a mitzvah, let's say uh, you need to do a brismila on Shabbos. And they forgot to bring the knife. And it's a place where there's no eruv. So you could ask a non-Jew to bring the knife, as long as he's not going through a real public property, he'd be allowed to do that on Shabbos, because that's a double rabbonon for the purpose of of the mitzvah there's more to be said about that but our time is running away so I'm just going to take the opportunity to really thank each and every one of you for joining us being part of our radio family we really really appreciate it and we just hope that this Shabbos is the most beautiful Shabbos you've had in a very very long time and that it spurs you to keep even more Shabbos and want to be involved on a regular basis and have Shabbos in, in your life to each and every one of our radio family, since it is still, was Chayish now, I can wish you all still, a good Chayish, and then a beautiful, beautiful, warm, inspiring, and enchanting, Shabbos Chayish, culture to one and all.